listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Good morning. Wow, it's been a while, but it's good to be back. And the honor and the privilege of being God's voice at any time, anywhere, is something. I've done this for 60 years. But I still feel as if this is the first time I've ever done it. Because I'm just as dependent. If I was dependent upon God and even the, the practical wisdom of knowing how to baptize somebody and, and took uh, Meldon's father-in-law and took him to the Creekside and, and without any audience baptized him there because I was a learner. The moment I quit learning, I die. And I want to keep learning and keep hearing from God and honor him together today. Back in 1997, my wife and I were in Winnipeg on a visit to visit our kids who were there at the time. And we went down to the junction of the Red River and the Assiniboine, the Forks. And here I saw a t-shirt for sale. Here's what it said, 1997, the worst blizzard in 100 years. 1997, the worst flood in a hundred years. 1997, the worst mosquitoes in a hundred years. What a year! And then we come to 20 years later, 2017, British Columbia. The worst floods in a hundred years. The worst fires in a hundred years, still going strong the worst political climate in a hundred years, the worst outbreak of death by overdose and drugs than ever we've experienced. One of the churches here in town, I talked to one of their members, they had their 40th funeral of drug death in one church in Kelowna. What a year, what a year. What's going on? Is this the beginning of the end that the Bible is talking about? Is it? I have the question like the disciples had in Matthew 24. How will we know that the end of the age is upon us? How will we know? A divine intervention is happening, folks. And mankind has always instinctively expected an ultimate confrontation with his God, whether he dreaded it or well welcomes it, he knows that Jesus is coming. And Christ's second coming is one of the clearest, the most often predicted events in God's total prophetic calendar. Now, Christians may not all agree in all of the details. The one thing about eschatology and prophetic truth is that the only thing I've changed my theology over the years is I'm no longer on God's planning committee. I'm on his reception committee. In other words, I'm not planning it for God. I'm, I'm just going to be there to, to receive him and be part of the family that gets caught up to be with the Lord. And so we may not agree on all, but... You can hasten, but we all know that he is coming to take us home at some unspecified date. If you expect me to set a date today, I can't and I dare not 
You can hasten your dying, but you cannot hasten his coming because he alone knows. Now, just listen to some of these scriptures. Just listen. But one quarter of the New Testament deals with the second coming of Christ. So we better take note if this is fact and this is truth. John 14, I will come back. Acts 1, this Jesus will come back in the same way. 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. We will be caught up, 1 Corinthians 15, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead will be raised and we will be changed. Revelation 16, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that is watching. 1 John 5, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And as my wife and I were sitting there, she showed me a Bible verse that she just found this morning in Joel chapter 2, verse 1. And here's what it says. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. Thus saith the Lord, folks. I didn't write it. I'm just reporting it. And I believe it. There are over 300 references to his second coming in the New Testament. The rapture is referred to 24 times. Rapture meaning to be caught up to be with the Lord. 24 times in the New Testament. And there will be much vacant property after the rapture. I will have no more use of my home on Rojum Road. I will have no more use of my car which is fairly new, a week and a half. I will have no more use of my wheelbarrow. I'll have no more use of my fishing rod. I'll have no more use of my gun for hunting. You can have it all. Name it and claim it. First come, first serve. One fellow Christian guy took his unbelieving friend to a meeting where the speaker was going to be speaking about the eminence, the immediacy of the return of Christ. And on his way home, this Christian guy said to his buddy in the car, when that happens, I won't need my home anymore. You can have it all. And the guy at first was quite thrilled. You mean, I'm going to be getting at about a four or $500,000 home for free after you're out of here? And he was kind of thrilled. A free real estate, furnishings, car. And then he tried to fall asleep. He was staying with that guy overnight, and he was restless. He couldn't sleep, and he asked himself, now why should I want this house only to be destroyed in it and to be eternally lost? And he woke up his friend, and he said this, I came to tell you, I don't want your house. I want to be ready to leave the house I already have when the Lord returns. And right then and there in the middle of the night, that guy repented by the bedside of his buddy and received God's free gift of eternal life and received thus an eternal home, an eternal home. Now, believing in Christ's first coming, which is Christmas, and not believing in his second coming is like an eagle with only one wing. The early church lived in the expectation of his return. And there were three words that really was what they focused on. Waiting, working, and watching. Waiting, working, and watching. And the book of James is loaded with this. So that's where we will park this morning. In fact, here he is. The whole matter in James chapter, the first chapter, he gives two clear admonitions in light of his coming, and both of them include the word patience. 
My wife's sister just passed away three weeks ago, 85 years of age, dearly loved the Lord. Just a couple of days before she died at Hospice House here in Kelowna, Shirley said to her, what's the prayer request that you have, Joy? And she was quite soft in her speech. Patience, she said. It's taking so long, and I want to go to be with Jesus. I'm tired. Patience, and that's what James is talking about, patience. And that's what it's, God is into waiting, and we are into hurrying. That's mankind's mentality. And God is into waiting. And there's two different words that are used in the book of James with regards to patience. Let me read the scriptures from uh, James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. And I'm reading from the voice translation. So listen to this. Don't run from tests and handicaps or hardships. Don't run from, uh, uh, rather, don't run from tests and hardships, brothers and sisters. As difficult as they are, you will ultimately find joy in them. If you embrace them, your faith will blossom under pressure and teach you true patience as you endure and true patience brought on by endurance will equip you to complete the long journey and cross the finish line, mature, complete, wanting nothing. July 4th at 7.57 in the morning. I had just finished preparing the talk that Joy wanted me to give at her funeral. And I just closed my Bible, and the phone rang. Hospice was on the line. Joy Oxenham just passed away three minutes ago. Into the presence of Jesus. And that's the patience that God wants us to, to take advantage of. And so patience when facing painful times. That's one kind of patience. Difficult circumstances, unavoidable, unexpected, often undeserving. Many times it involves physical issues or financial or material. And it has to do with unplanned for circumstances of life. And James outlined some attitudes that are important with regards to this kind of patience. In other words, expect painful times expect them that's part of life and to welcome them as friends don't run from them it's so opposite to our tendency our natural tendency because we look for quick fixes almost anything to get rid of pain Romans 8, the suffering that we endure now are not even worth comparing to the glory that is coming. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. Life's trials will seem so small when we see our Lord. G. Campbell Morgan, a great theologian, used to say, to me, the second coming of Christ is the perpetual light on the path which makes the present bearable. Wow. That makes the present bearable, including the, the trials of painful times that we face. So first of all, expect painful times. Don't run from them. And then secondly, embrace painful times. Embrace them. Faith blossoms under pressure. You all 
in your lifetime at some point are going to be find yourself enrolled in what I call pain university. You, you never enroll them in that course. To be born is to be enrolled in that university because in this world outside of the Garden of Eden, there will be painful times, whether it's physical, financial, relational, there will be suffering. And how we face it makes all the difference. Faith blossoms under pressure. A godless army sergeant had been converted to Jesus, and here was his testimony. There was a Christian private in the army, and I gave him an awful time. And one night, while on sentry duty, I caught him on his knees praying beside his bed, and I took one of my boots and I hit the side of his head with my boot. He kept right on praying. The next morning, I found my boots beautifully polished beside my bed. That was his answer to my boot hitting the side of his head. He polished my boots and it broke my heart. And the guy became a Christian. So that's what it means to embrace painful times and let God use those pain. That puts you on a platform. Johnny Erickson has been in that wheelchair as a quadriplegic for 45 years, dove into the water, shallow water at the age of 16 and broke her neck. And I have heard her personally. She said there's 75% of the time that when I awaken in the morning, to the unlocking of my front door and my caretaker comes into the home and comes into my bedroom and helps me to get dressed and helps me to wash myself and helps me to brush my teeth. I can't do any of it. Helps me to, helps to feed me. I don't feel like being thankful. I don't feel like praising God. I don't feel like talking to anybody. And those are the times I need to sing, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While in others thou art calling, do not pass me by. But she says, as she sat, and many times at Billy Graham Crusades with 40, 50, 60,000 people there, she gives her testimony. And she said, sitting in this wheelchair has given me a platform that I never considered possible globally. And it's through that painful stuff that God has worked patience within me and has given me a testimony. I've embraced painful times. Faith blossoms under pressure and then endure painful times. Endurance results in true patience. I have dear friends right here in Kelowna. They've lost three sons, and her husband is dying of cancer. And you sense their heart and their spirit, instead of being bitter and angry, there is a peace that passes all understanding. And that's what prepares you for his coming. So that's one kind of patience. And then the second kind James talks about is patience while waiting. The one kind is a patience when facing painful times. And the second is patience while waiting with painful people. And you know, just because your friends are Christians doesn't just make them all angelic gems. Sometimes they're like hugging porcupines. 
And you wonder, you know, why did you put them into my life and all of that type of stuff? Patience while waiting with painful people. Let me read James chapter 5, verse 7 to 9. For this reason, my brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the return of the Lord. Look, the farmer, we live on a farm. Yesterday morning at 6.30 in the morning, 6 in the morning, I, I picked 150 pounds of cherry tomatoes. And then I found out that our daughter and her husband, just hours later, picked 500 pounds of ripe, big, juicy tomatoes and tried to sell them all at the market, sold most of them. But so I, I know what farming is. I grew up on a farm. I grew up on a sugar beet farm in, in Manitoba. 48 acres of sugar beets, half mile long rows. I was Santa Claus all summer long. Ho, 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 hoing. And I hated it. I didn't love it. I didn't like it. Now I'm back on the farm again and I love it. Because the difference is then I had to, now I can choose whether I'm going to pick or not. But farming is an amazing thing to watch. It really is. And so when he talks here about the farmer knows how to wait patiently for the land to produce vegetables and fruits. He cannot harvest a freshly planted seed. Instead, he waits for the early and the late showers to nourish the soil. You need this same kind of patience. So in the meantime, strengthen your resolve before the Lord will be coming soon. Brothers and sisters, don't waste your breath complaining about one another. If you judge others, you will judge yourself. Be very careful. You will face the one true judge who is right outside the door. So his coming is soon. And so here he talks about the whole challenge of living here to prepare for the next world. Somebody has put it this way, living with the saints above, oh, that will be glory. Living with the saints below, oh, that's another story. To live in such a way that heaven will not be a total shock. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, knew the president, former president of Wheaton College in Chicago, Dr. Evans. And she said at his funeral, I think Dr. Evans will be one person that will find heaven the least shock of any people I know. Some of us, when we get to heaven, will face a pretty big shock because we've not been living that heavenly down here. Living down here is Christians really geared to prepare us for heaven above. God's proving grounds. Otherwise, God would take us home the moment we become Christians. James was a farmer. Farmers have to be professional waiters. You can't prepare soil until the weather warms the soil. You can't seed till the soil is ready. You work and then you wait. Now, four simple reminders about that waiting. How to wait. First of all, wait in community. Wait in community. There is no such a thing in Scripture as a churchless Christianity. God wants us to be in the fellowship of believers like you are this morning, to wait in community. Brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait together for the return of the Lord. We are an impatient lot, aren't we? So easily disheartened when things go tough. The disciples fished all night after the resurrection, but they caught no fish. And so Jesus is on the shore. What does he do? Try again in the same spot. Do it again. 
Same spot. And oh, if I could only go to some new place, if I could only take a trip to Europe, and now the big rage is for high school grads the year after they graduate from high school. Take a trip to Europe, find yourself, discover yourself in Australia, discover yourself. And you know what you find out? When you get there, you're there too. You take yourself along wherever you go. And you're your own biggest problem. We can blame everybody else for our problems, but in reality, we are our own biggest problem. And so Jesus told them to try again. And for most of us, it'll be the same old net in the same old pond. So overcome old temptations and old faults and old trials and old failures and old discouragements because we take ourselves along wherever we go. Somebody said it this way, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Well, all we need to do is look inside. And the master said, try again. So wait in community, then wait in unity. Wait in unity. Wow. Harmony in unity takes an awful lot of work. James was a farmer. So work while you wait. Till the soil, plant the seed, water the garden. And he compares the farmer waiting for a good crop to harvesting mature relational fruit in God's family, the church. While we wait for the Lord of the harvest to return. Having pastored for 60 years, it's been an awesome privilege to do that. But Shirley and I, frankly, have been wounded by the church. And we've been tempted to quit church. What we realize, whenever you point a finger at somebody else, you always have three fingers pointing right back at you and one finger pointing up to God. People will disappoint you. Pastors will disappoint you. <laughs> one of my grandsons, 22, head of the counseling at the Green Bay Bible Camp this summer again. And, and he said, some of my friends, they go to church and they come back and said, oh, I just didn't get fed today. I didn't, he didn't say much that stirred me or anything. Boy, it was kind of boring. And uh, so Joel says, how long have you been a Christian? To his friends. Oh, about 12 years or so. 12 years a Christian. And you still can't feed yourself? And you blame it all on the pastor? I don't go just for something that I can get out of it. I want to go to be a blessing. And out of that, the privilege of serving God, Jesus said, I came not to be ministered unto, but I came to minister. I came to touch other lives. I can surely know every morning when we pray together, we pray our ABCs of availability, brokenness, and connection. God, available, whatever, wherever, whenever, whatever cost. Brokenness. To allow the difficult, painful circumstance of your life. When you watch your 14, 15-year-old grandson dying of bone cancer, literally screaming, into eternity. He was a wonderful, godly kid, so we know where he is with Jesus. But you feel so weak, you feel so helpless, you feel you pray and you trust in God for his own reasons that we don't understand. 
with all of the praying to still let him die. Now, we could either allow that to make us bitter or better. And we look back five years now, and we see what God has wrought through even some of that painful stuff would have never happened if we hadn't walked through that much pain. God will not allow you to go through so much pain without wanting to just somehow work some wonderful, blessed fruit that would have never come any other way. There are times you just have to let God be God. Dr. John Walford had four sons, president and former president of Dallas Seminary. Two of them were born mentally handicapped. One of them had two PhDs, and the other one was a medical doctor. That medical doctor had just graduated from med school, driving home from the hospital, and a car crossed the center median and hit him head on and killed him instantly. And this was after they had also had those two handicapped boys. And he sat in our home, and this was three years later, and he was 70-some years old, sitting there crying. He said, we still to this very day have no explanations, no reasons why. We thought when we had those two handicapped boys, that was our share of the load of pain, right? Well, God had something else in mind. We just had to let God be God. And while he was sitting there crying, our phone rings, and we find out that a teenage boy... 18, 19 years of age, just graduated from high school, the day he was heading off to Taylor University, driving along the road just outside our church, came to a, an intersection, and he had the right away. He had the green light, so he was going through the green light, but a car just T-boned him and killed him instantly. And we wondered whether Dr. Walward would want to drop into that home and talk to those hurting, grieving parents. And he said, I'll go. When he came back, we said, were you able to be of some comfort to them? He said, I don't know. I just sat there and cried with him. I didn't say anything. I just cried. When God allows you to go through painful stuff, folks, don't waste it. Don't waste it. When you're in pain university, don't waste it. Use it for the glory of God and for the benefit of character building. It seems to take pain university in order to build character more than better than anything else in life. I wish that were not true. So you don't go through life as a young person. Now, when is it going to hit me? Everything's been going pretty smooth for me. And boy, I'm afraid one of these days. Folks, you don't have to bite your nails fearing. Because God's grace is sufficient for you when you need it. But you realize in this world, outside the there's an enemy to our souls. There is. He doesn't like to see everything going smooth and right for you. And so to wait in unity. And then to wait in community. And to wait with commitment, verse 8, strengthen your resolve. He's coming soon. He has to do with being, it has to do with being patient with people. Aunt Jane had somewhat limited intelligence. 
but she was trying to console a severely ill friend. And here's the way she put it. Now, listen carefully. She said this. When we don't feel very good, then we think that we are very bad off. Okay, that makes sense. But when we get worse than that, then we wish that we were as well as we was when we thought we was bad off. Did you get that? Let me read it again. When we, feel, when we don't feel very good, then we think we are very bad off. But when we get even worse than that, then we wish that we were as well as we were when we thought we was bad off. Now, that may not be correct grammar, but that's kind of the reality of what we're talking about here. So to wait with a sense of commitment, with a sense of, of uh, uh, strength and resolve and realize that God's grace can be sufficient and wait in victory. No complaining. If you judge others, you will be judged. So be very careful, he says. You will face the one true judge. A church had just called a new pastor and they voted on it. And our type of churches, uh, people tend to have, the membership has a, has a say and a vote as to whether the pastor is called or not. And so this pastor, he got the positive vote, but he didn't get a 100% vote. And one of the guys that had voted no on the ballot, and there are some people like that, they don't, it's a spelling problem. They don't know how to spell yes on a ballot. And so they just write no on everything. And so one of the guys had voted no, but he gets up after the vote was announced because the majority had voted for him. And so this guy said, now, uh, I move that we make the vote uh, unanimous. And one dear old grump gets up and he puts it this way. He said, there will never be anything unanimous in this church as long as I'm in it. <laughs> Boy, what a reputation. And he was proud of that? Yeah. It's amazing. God has to get along with all kinds of people. Chronic dissenters, sad, sad reputation. God will not be fooled. When there is grumbling in the heart, the beat is different. And I think even of Joseph in the Old Testament. Boy, what a learning curve that kid went through. He started off very spoiled. Very spoiled. He spoiled brat. Crazy dreams. Angry brothers who sold him into slavery and threw him, first of all, into that abandoned dry well. Now, I don't know what happened in that well. Because he was sure that he was going to be, there was no water in it, it was dry. But he was sure that he was going to die in that well. His brothers were going to let him die. And boy, when you're in a situation like that and you face death and you face eternity, boy, does that become a learning curve. If you're going to have to stand face to face to me, something happened in that dry well and there became a choice point, something profound. And in that well, there was a switch. He moved from being a spoiled brat to be a godly saint. From then on, as he was sold to Potiphar, he lived in such a way in every step there. God was with him. And eventually, as you know the story, what happened, he moved from the jailhouse to the penthouse. And nothing changed negatively in his heart. God was with him just as much in the penthouse when he became the second in charge of the nation. Because... He waited in victory. And then when his brothers show up 22 years later, he looks to those brothers and they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him. He said, you sold me, but God sent me. 
God had the big picture in mind, folks. God sees the big picture. God's finger is all over this. In chapter 50, verse 15 of Genesis, he said to them later when he, he, he showed them and told them who he was, they said, you intended me harm and God intended good. God is the big picture God. And he looks at you in your life and he's got a plan for you that is beautiful and wonderful. Right now, it may not seem that way. You may feel lonely without friends and nobody seems to care and you can't find a decent job or whatever. You may not be treated right in your home. You may come from a broken home and you feel unloved and uncared for and never really appreciate. I don't know that. But God's allowed that circumstance in your life. In the big picture, God's got a wonderful picture. God was incubating the nation of Israel and preparing the world for the Messiah. He is in it for the long haul. We keep asking the wrong question. We ask, what is the will of God for me? We should rather ask, what is the will of God for God? He's in charge. He's the focal point. His word, not your word. Psalm 119, direct my footsteps according to your word. To me, my bottom line question in life is, is it biblical? Is it biblical? Is this what God's word teaches? Is this is what God has in mind? Direct my footsteps according to your word. So my mission statement in life is simply this. I exist to live a spirit-controlled, Bible-anchored life that leads people to follow Jesus and leaves a godly legacy for those who follow me. Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus, any time to live in such a way that you're fully ready when that trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal bright and fair and the chosen one on earth are caught up to beyond the skies to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Folks, God wants you to be, and you can be, simply by acknowledge yourself or sinfulness. Acknowledge what Jesus has done for you when he died on the cross for your sin. Invite him to come into your life. Make you the Lord of your lives. And you can walk out of here today ready for that trumpet call. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you that... Your coming is soon in this crazy world with so much weird stuff going on and the moral climate just declining so much. We just realize, Father, all of this may well be all just before that grand and glorious day. And thank you for the anticipation of that. Thank you for the willingness to just pay that price and so that we could go free and experience the goodness of God. And then we can sing from our hearts when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, 
it is well with my soul. In your name we pray.